1: A very warm welcome to uh, Box. We're live from Davos. What is it, day 364? That feels like it. Does feel like <laughs> it. That's Karen Cho. I'm Steve Sedgwick. These are your headlines. European equities closing deep in the red, with the stock 600 posting its worst day since October. This as Christine Lagarde adds to the hawkish ECB tone, or at least there isn't a dovish tone, which many wanted, saying there won't be rate cuts until the summer. Elsewhere, the Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte tells CNBC it is important for centrist parties to be clearer on tough issues. This amid a rise in right-wing support ahead of EU elections.
2: The centrist parties, like my party, the Centre, has to be more successful. Me myself, my party, to explain we are there for the economy, we are there for collective safety. The more right-wing parties are successfully challenging, particularly that not world order.
3: UK Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves positions Labour as the pro-business party ahead of an election expected this year.
4: I'm here in Davos to say that Britain is open to business, we want businesses to thrive and be successful, to reinvest uh, their profits here in uh, Britain uh, and we have no plans to increase income tax.
3: We must preserve our voice. That was the message from French President Emmanuel Macron, who issues a rallying cry for the European project while calling out weakness and complacency in the bloc.
2: We are too much fragmented. The second is we are probably one of the critical parts of this world where we regulate much more than the others, and sometimes we invest less than the others. And this is not a business
1: model. Apple will remove a blood oxygen feature from its watches
4: to keep them on U.S. shelves that's after an appeal court reinstates a sales
1: ban amid an IP dispute with Massimo. A very warm welcome to the show. Europe Stock 600 posted its worst day since October yesterday. This after hawkish uh, remarks. No, I'm going to hold that back. I don't think they were hawkish. I think the problem is the market was primed for dovish. And there is a big space between hawkish... And dovish. Hawkish and dovish. And what we got, what we've had is neutral. At best, we've had neutral. And I'll I'll finish the read because I know you have massively got a conversation as well. And disagree with you. Uh, So it's. Oh, (laughs) that's what I love. Hawkish remarks, so says my read. And Karen here from the ECB president, Christine Lagarde, thwarting hopes of swift rate cuts from the central bank. Now, speaking to Bloomberg, uh, Lagarde said it was likely that rate cuts will start in the summer, adding that ongoing market bets on earlier rate cuts were not helping the inflation fight. I agree with Madame Lagarde. Anyway, in the UK, December's CPI print came in stronger than expected at 4%. That really hit the footsie. Sentiment also weakened by, let's be honest about it, underwhelming data from China. You go ahead first.
3: Well, so you had a go at me earlier in the week when I used... (laughs) In the the loveliest way. (laughs) When I used the term hawkish. And I think the expectations have moved so far now towards rate cuts that if you are not talking about a rate cut... You are still you're hawkish. No. You're in the hawkish camp because I think the, the market is saying how many rate cuts, 150 basis points of rate cuts in some situations, mm. like the Fed and and beyond, even the ECB. We're talking about similar territory. Mm. If you're not talking about a cut, yeah. you are hawkish now, yeah. and I think that's the problem. The market had wanted to see more confirmation that it was going to be front loaded at the start of this year, and and don't forget March was a, a key time frame. More data coming in for the ECB. Mm. Many had hoped we'd start to get even more signalling mm. in. Coming weeks. I mean, we started up pre-Davos, reading a report from someone that yes, we, we know very well, yes, and Goldman we think Sachs. is no high-frequency economics. Oh, those two uh, suggesting that there might even be a pivot in Davos from Christine Lagarde. Yeah, that's not what we got. We got no. absolutely the opposite. Do you see pile over other, there? See that pile other other over there? ECB that is the too.
1: toys being thrown out the pram by the market, <laughs> and it is a massive pile of toys. And you're buying into that because, in the loveliest possible way, look. The, the, the central bankers have never changed their remit. If I hear data-driven one more time, I will almost go mad with boredom. Because, But that's what they've done. They've said data-driven, data-driven, data-driven. They have the central bankers themselves, from Jay Powell to Madame Lagarde to Andrew Bailey to anyone else who's got a key voice here, have never changed their, their view on this one. They have stayed where they are, which is pretty neutral, until. It doesn't make them hawkish, just because... All those toys over there that have been thrown out the pram by a market which is desperate. Don't forget, the market has positioned itself beautifully for swift rate cuts because it wants a lower cost of funding. It wants its refunding over this year and next year to be so much. So they're trying to push the central bankers as ever, because they always do, into a position as well. So. If, if if hawkish was over here and dovish here, the central bankers were in the middle. Just because the market moved to uber dovish doesn't make that the central bankers have become hawkish.
3: So the problem is that we're now data dependent, but that is the market. We too. always were. No, this is not just central bank. It's, yeah. it's it's the market. And the market is reading the information as though something has been wrapped up, put in the post, and we're waiting for it to be <clears> delivered. And that is lower inflation. It's coming by Royal Mail, not Amazon. So it's taking a bit of time to, to arrive. Hush. But, but the market the market Hush. thinks... That it's on the way. And the problem is that uh, central bankers are not buying into that rhetoric just yet. They want the information in front of them. They you know why they're not buying that, into that it? That the inflation numbers come down. They want to see it in the paperwork in front of them. They're and not I think buying that's into that's the problem it. for the they're, market They're now.
1: not buying into it because what was... Let me go back a stage. Let me go back in time to my headlines, OK? Or back a little bit. The, the Basically, European close was partly because we've had higher inflation prints. And guess what? Mm. The central bankers have got a memory which is longer than a nanosecond like the market has. The central bankers are desperate not to look foolish like central bankers looked in the late 70s and the first part of the 80s as well. Because if they do, they will be chastised as a generation of central bankers that once again screwed it up. Yeah. They are looking at a 4% print on UK inflation. They are looking at a high 3% inflation rates on, across the board. They're looking at an employment market which is full I and pick saying, up on that point, hang please. on a second. Yes, we need to lessen rates as well. We know that. Madame Lagarde said that. Yeah. I watched her interview. It was a great interview. She said, and the other point is, If I can just say it quickly, and then you go up. The market has cut rates. This is the point I'm trying to mm-hmm. make with everybody. The market has cut interest rates. When the Fed 10-year rate goes from 5 to 4%, that is a cut in real terms for anyone raising money via the 10-year bond or using that as a benchmark. And it's the same with the OATs and the BUNs and the BTPs and the GILTs as well. The market's cut. The central banks are saying, hang on a second, don't you remember this bit where if you make it more difficult for us to do our job by easing the cost of money now, we're going to have to stay where we are yeah. for longer. The old
3: financial conditions, story. But the other part, which is still incredibly key, is the labour market. And yeah, we were getting into yeah. this with the ECB, with Klaus Knott yesterday, about what that unemployment level has to be to stop inflation from continuing to rise and not falling fast enough that it's still having an impact. And this time round, you know, where is the Nairu? I don't think, I mean, he couldn't tell us where he thought the Nairu is, which is a problem. Central Bank is almost still guiding in the dark about that balance between the unemployment rate and inflation, and if we are still in the dark, that is incredibly challenging, I think, trying to set policy. I spoke to the Manpower CEO, Jonas Prising. This week, And he's saying, look, everybody's missing the fact that we started from such a low base on unemployment Mm. while we're getting a slightly looser labour market. We could just pick up slightly from that low unemployment level. Then that is a problem for central bankers, he said to me. So I think that's exactly what we're now grappling with. Central bankers are saying, God, we've got all these wage pressures coming in still, all those negotiations that were conducted last year. We've still got pressure because we've got strength in the labour market. While that is a positive for the soft landing scenario, it still could be a negative for inflation
1: and geopolitics. Because a lot of people saying that that could upset the apple cart, the external factors. It's not just about the domestic market. We better move on because we've been doing some enormous... We don't just do scorebox, you know. We do a lot of other stuff as well, including um, talking to politicians because it's been a big year already for elections, let's be honest about it, uh, out of Taiwan, for instance. But it's a huge year across the globe. Um, Nationalists, populists, far-right parties are eyeing rising support across Europe, for instance. Now, the Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte told me that centrist politicians, including himself have been failing electorates in expressing their positions.
2: Clearly, you see that in many countries in Europe, but also in other parts of the world, there is this issue of migration, which is really for many people number one on the list, particularly uh, asylum migration, how to get a grip on it. Uh, For example, in we had 1,000 asylum seekers last week. That is simply too high a number. We have to bring that down in a way that you can still protect people, obviously, when they are trying to get away from war and other terrible things happening to them. Um, And I think the centrist parties, like my party, the Radar Center, has to be more successful, me, myself, my party, to explain we are there for the economy, we are there for collective safety. That means you need strong nation states, but also strong multilateral organizations. And the more right-wing parties are successfully challenging, particularly that multilateral world order. Mm -hmm. But it is not the one or the other. You need the multilateral world order to have strong nation states because of our jobs and economy and our security. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. But that seems like quite a strong mea culpa from you about how centrist politics has failed, whether it's in Sweden, mm-hmm. whether it's in Germany, or whether it's in the United Kingdom. But take, for right? example,
2: Denmark. Yeah. Uh, Denmark has met the Frederiksen party. Yeah. Uh, she is left of center. She is strong on migration, but obviously also strong on traditional social democratic, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, social affairs, uh, etc. and protection for the people on low income and you can combine those uh, of course my party would then have be strong on migration and strong on pro business uh, job growth uh, etc and uh, and somehow i've not been able to successfully over the last couple of years, to to present it, so the co- the government collapsed on this issue. Yeah. Uh, then it was the main issue in the elections, and obviously now uh, I hope we will for there will be a new government being able to tackle all these issues, but also to stay within Europe, uh, to stay the NATO, to to keep on the support for Ukraine.
3: UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak overcame a bruising parliamentary revolt to pass a bill which would send asylum seekers to Rwanda. The bill still needs to clear the House of Lords. Support for his Conservative Party now stands at the lowest level since his predecessor, Liz Truss, when she was Prime Minister. Shadow Chancellor and Labour Party MP Rachel Reeves, who hopes to take Jeremy Hunt's job and become the UK's first female Chancellor, told us Labour is now the pro-business party.
4: The most important reason I'm here in Davos is to meet global investors and businesses uh, to to show that Labour are now the pro-business party, the party of wealth creation. And we are determined to get economic growth in the UK off the floor to get us growing again. And that requires a partnership between government and business to unlock investment and bring jobs and prosperity to the UK. Um, And that's what I'm determined to do. I know the inheritance is going to be tough if we do indeed have the chance to form the next government. But I'm an optimist about Britain. Huge potential. We've
1: just got to taff it. Your good friend and colleague, Liam Byrne, never stops regretting leaving that note for the Chancellor in 2010. Uh, I.e. there is no money, I'm afraid. Good luck. The fact of the matter is, it's a similar metaphorical message you might be getting from the Conservatives, from uh, the Treasury as well. What are you going to do? You said you're not going to raise taxes as well. You're going to have to, aren't you?
4: Well, look, the, the truth is since uh, Labour left office in 2010, uh, government debt has increased significantly and now hovers at around 100% of GDP. And that will be a constraint on any government, including a Labour one. And I've set out a tough set of fiscal rules that we were paid to date for day-to-day spending through tax receipts, that we would get debt down as a share of GDP and then only subject to that, make investments, strategic investments in the things that are needed to boost our growth and productivity and And we've got to get that growth because the route to better public services, the route to higher living standards is through growth and prosperity. And that's why it's so important to be here in Davos and talk to investors about the opportunities in Britain, whether that's in life sciences, in low carbon industries, creative industries, professional services, all areas of huge strength in the UK. But today we are missing out uh, on investment to our overseas uh, allies and competitors. But I your
1: response to the autumn statement and I thought as combative as your response was, actually you did agree with a lot of things that uh, Jeremy Hunt had done, including making permanent uh, a lot of tax to businesses who are investing in capex in their in their companies as well there's not a lot of ground between you and conservative policy at the moment is there well
4: look they've had 14 years and i think the question that people are going to be asking at the next election is after 14 years are me and my family better off Are our schools our hospitals our police are they working better than when the conservatives came to office 14 years ago i mean frankly is anything in britain working better today than when they came into office growth has stagnated average growth of just one and a half percent a year compared to two percent a year on average under the last Labour government and that is the difference and our plans worked up alongside business to grow the economy to unlock that investment uh, are are absolutely crucial to turning around our our prosperity as a
1: nation. Rachel there's an accusation that you will do what every Chancellor does say I've had a look at the books if indeed you are to be the next Chancellor of Exchequer you've had a look at the books and they're much worse than you thought and actually I'm going to have to raise taxes how do you respond to that?
4: Well I know that the inheritance is going to be uh, tough but if the route to better public services and higher living standards was through higher taxes we'd have them by now because the tax burden is at a a 70 year high and is indeed forecast to rise in each year of this parliament. The route to prosperity and better public services comes through economic growth. And that is why Keir Starmer and myself are absolutely focused on that. Reforming the planning system so we can build one and a half million homes in the first term of a Labour government. Reforming the planning system as well so we can invest in digital, in low carbon uh, industries, because that is the route to good jobs that pay wages that you can support a family on and to be able to invest in our schools and our hospitals which are on their knees.
1: Um, yeah, it was a good conversation with Reeves yesterday, and it was very interesting to see a lot of her takes on, on tax. I'll just reiterate something else. She said, I am not putting in a 50p in the pound tax rate for the highest earners. And look, I'll be brutally honest, a lot of our viewers are C suite, a lot of you are top earners in the United Kingdom, and she said, I'm not bringing in a 50p top rate of tax, which would be a 5% increase, of course.
3: Yes. Well, I mean, I think we're seeing the same trends in the UK versus elsewhere, aren't we, in terms of the disparity. So yeah. you're looking at some sort of levelling up uh, policy from Labour. And we we're just debating off camera about extra taxes on private schooling, which is a huge one in the UK. It's going
1: to happen, I'm afraid. It's going to happen. Um, Reeves says government debt has, if she gets in, if they get in. Mm. Uh, Reeves says government debt has increased significantly since the last Labour Prime Minister, Gordon Brown. Well, Tanya spoke to uh, the aforementioned Gordon Brown and asked him about the state of global leadership.
0: Nothing is going to be resolved until the American elections are resolved. And so until people are clear who the next president is, is, is going to be, then it's difficult for you to think of long-term uh, answers that can stick. And so if president, if he were to be President Trump, again president, decides to leave NATO or decides to leave... Or the IMF or the World Bank puts a 10% tariff as he's threatening on trade, then you're into an era of trade wars and technology wars and industrial subsidy wars. And it could, it could go out of hand. So I think the biggest um, uh, decision, of course, that we're waiting for this year, of course, there's elections in India, Indonesia, Mexico. Right across the European Union, where you've got a populist, uh, a, a nationalist uh, sort of uh, a group of parties are competing for power, doing a lot better than they were a few years ago, partly because of immigration. All these things have happened, but I think you've got to focus on what will happen in America uh, as, as a first instance. And then you could look at other countries. <laughs>
3: Coming up on today's show, the C Suite Parade continues. We'll be speaking to the CEOs of Barclays, SAP and MAC, along with the Vice President of the European Commission, Marcos Sevkovic, the Saudi Arabian Finance Minister Mohammed Al Jadan, and the Eurogroup President Pascal Donoho. A full lineup today.
1: Yeah, as we mentioned, big year for democracy, more than 60 nations heading to the polls, including the European parliamentary elections this summer. Sylvia spoke to the Dutch Defence Minister and asked whether the EU could learn lessons from ongoing coalition talks in the Netherlands.
5: In Europe, we have seen a rise of more right wing populist parties. Uh, in my country, uh, one of those parties won the elections. Uh, and f- f- for my party, for instance, uh, D66, a liberal party, uh, I, we consider this as a warning, uh, because we feel we cannot turn inwards, we must be looking outwards with everything that is happening in the world, with the war in Ukraine, with the situa- situation in the Middle East, uh, we cannot afford you know, to uh, to turn inwards. Uh, And and of course we have our problems and our issues and there are serious concerns that that people care about. We have to face those uh, challenges. Uh, uh, But I think if there is any warning in the Dutch elections, it is that you have to keep on telling the message uh, about uh, war and peace, about prosperity uh, and how that is gained by having free trade uh, and, and peace. So I, I hope that uh, there are other countries that will have elections this year. We have the European elections uh, coming up. Uh, and uh, and, and in, in my own country, you know, we always have coalition governments. Mm-hmm. So I do have faith in the institutions and that in the end they will have to compromise. Uh, and that we've always been an outward looking country. And we, I hope we will remain that.
1: We had a busy day speaking to world leaders yesterday. I spoke to the Hungarian president Katalin Novak and asked about the country's support for Ukraine and why it may see itself at odds with other Western allies.
6: We have much more in common than there are controversies between the positions of Hungary and uh, other EU member states uh, because uh, our uh, our position vis-à-vis uh, Ukraine and Russia is the same as uh, that of the other 26 uh, EU member states. So we condemn Russia's aggression against Ukraine from the first moment on. We are very clear on that. We are trying our utmost in order to support Ukraine. And when we speak about uh, the geographic setting of Hungary, which means that we are a direct neighbor to Ukraine, we also shouldn't forget that uh, we have an ethnic minority of Hungarian uh, ethnics uh, living on the territory of Ukraine, 150,000 people, which is for us a decisive number. So we are not only indirectly hit by the war in Ukraine, but actually directly we are losing uh, lives of uh, Hungarian. Uh, hungarians or the members of the hungarian ethnic minority so i think that uh, when the substance is concerned that our then our position is uh, the same as uh, that of the european union when it's about the methods uh, then the positions may differ but i think that we should rather concentrate on what we have in common than what we don't exactly uh, share the same views Uh, and that's
1: absolutely important to look at what is in common but but at the moment The Ukrainian delegation, and I was here for the NSA meeting on Sunday as well, is crying out for more support, both diplomatically and militarily, and of course economically as well. There is an accusation from some in Europe that it is Hungary that is holding up that financing as well. How can that gap be bridged between the view of Hungary and Prime Minister Orban and that of the other EU members?
6: Ukraine needs support, that's for sure. And we have to further support Ukraine. I completely share that to you personally and Hungary as a country as well. Uh, So that is the most important. And uh, I I just very much hope that we will find uh, the method how to further support Ukraine financially at the next uh, EU Council. Do do you Uh,
1: think that actually that there will be some form of combination of views? I mean, Mr. Orban on one side at the moment, the rest of the EU, the other, it, it, it's, it's not a comfortable position for Hungary to be in, to be against all the, the friends and allies, is it?
6: Well, it's not about being uh, feeling comfortable or not feeling comfortable, even if I'm not in the shoes of uh, the prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what uh, we should again uh, uh, concentrate on yeah. is that we have to support uh, Ukraine. But I also have to, to say something or add something. I just had a, a good discussion with the, the foreign minister of Ukraine. I was in Kiev two times in the last mm-hmm. year. Uh, I met President Zelensky several times. Uh, I, th- I, I completely understand uh, their position. I understand that they seek for support from everybody at the largest extent they can. Maybe that is exactly what I would do if I were in their yeah. shoes. So it's very difficult to, to imagine what we would do if we were uh, Ukrainians. But also in the meantime, I am the president of Hungary yeah. and we live still in a peaceful country and we still in Switzerland, we live in a peaceful country and that goes for Europe and that goes for the NATO countries as well. So what I just would like to emphasize is that we are not at war. The yeah. NATO countries the EU countries are not at war. Uh, so, even if we support and we keep further supporting Ukraine, we shouldn't get military involved in this war and we should avoid the escalation of the, the war and we shouldn't find ourselves in a third world war. And 2024 shouldn't be 1914. Uh, 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 yeah. So, it should be 2024 should be the year of peace rather than the, peace of, uh, the year of war.
3: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
1: For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.